0: morning everyone. My name's Jess. So today's Bible reading is the book of Haggai. So I'm going to do my best with pronouncing these ancient names and the Bible reading will be behind us on the screen. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheetul, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jozadak the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little you eat but never have enough you drink but never have your fill you put on clothes but are not warm you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it this is what the lord almighty says be care- give careful thought to your ways go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that i may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheetal, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai. Because the Lord their God sent him, And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. "'I am with you,' declares the Lord. "'So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheetal, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God.' on the 24th day of the sixth month. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheol, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in the place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer, there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw fifty measures... There were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree the pomegranate and the olive tree has not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots And their drivers, horses and their rides will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Sheatul, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty.
1: Morning again. It's great to be with you this morning and great to be partnering in the gospel this year and onwards as we, we seek to reach Adelaide's North together. So hopefully looking forward to seeing lots of you around the place as the years go on. Um, when I was in my late teens and early twenties, I went through a, a period of chronic fatigue, quite a, quite a bad run of fatigue and, and it was quite a difficult season of life. It, it was frustrating. Life felt really futile. I felt like I was putting lots and lots into life and just getting getting nothing out, no energy, no output. And above all, it felt hopeless. I I kept wondering to myself, will this ever end? Are things ever going to be good again? And maybe you've experienced a season of life where you've just felt this isn't the way that life's meant to be. Maybe you're in that season right now. Well, Haggai was a prophet who was speaking to people who were tired, they were discouraged, they were overwhelmed, and they were feeling very distant from God. And whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, some of those might sum up the way that you're feeling right now. Maybe it's come out of two years of living in ever-changing COVID restrictions, um, or perhaps it's other circumstances going on in your life at the moment. Haggai brings words of encouragement to discouraged people. Words that are as relevant for us today as they were for his hearers back then. Now, Meredith's given us a a very good background of of the the time, Um, but what happened was these events took place after the people in the southern kingdom of Israel had returned from exile. So, God had sent them into exile for disobeying him for years and years. They've gone into exile in Babylon. That's their punishment for rejecting God. And eventually, Babylon, which was a, a great big nation at that time, was, was defeated by another great big nation, Persia. And the Persian king, he allowed these Israelites who had been taken into exile to return to their home country, but to live under the rule of Persia. Uh, this was about 538 BC that this happened. Now, Haggai doesn't give us the, the full historical details in, in this little letter that we have, but um, if we read the book of Ezra in the Bible, what, what we see is that the people who returned from Babylon to Israel, um, they set about rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, which had been destroyed when the, the exile had taken place. But they faced so much opposition from the enemy nations around them, so much opposition that they, they gave up and the temple lay in ruins for another 20 years or so. Now, this was a difficult time. They, they were under foreign rule, their crops were failing, there was a lot of social instability at that time. Israel was a, a weak and vulnerable nation. It was, it was really a shadow of the former strength that it used to have. And into this situation, Haggai brings the word of God, and God promises that he's with them. Despite everything that's going on, He's with them and He's going to bless them and He's going to reveal His glory in extraordinary ways. Uh, so, there are three points that you'll see if you've downloaded the outline on the, the hub page. Three points we've got there. God's honour, God's glory and God's blessing and rule. Um, so, firstly, God's honour. Let's begin there in chapter 1. God wants His people to get their priorities right to get their priorities right by pleasing and honouring him. Um, Verse 6, he points out to them the situation that they find themselves in. They're planting much, but they're harvesting little. They're eating, but they're, they're never having enough. They're drinking, but they're never having their fill. They put on clothes, but they're not warm. They earn wages, but it's never enough. And the reason, Haggai tells them, is that their priorities are wrong. They haven't rebuilt God's house, the temple. Now, their reason for not rebuilding it, we see in verse 2, is that the time hasn't yet come, they say. The time hasn't yet come to rebuild the temple. Which, if you think about what's going on for them at that time, it it seems kind of reasonable, doesn't it? They've got a lot of distractions going on. They've got a famine. They've got all the other rebuilding going on. uh, They've got enemy nations around them. They've not got a lot of money and resources. But the issue here, it's a heart issue. The issue is that they're they're busy nicely furnishing their own houses, making their own houses look really nice, while God's house remains a ruin. And so Haggai tells them, what you ought to be seeking after is God's pleasure and God's honour. You're too focused on your own houses. You haven't rebuilt God's house. And we might wonder, why is God's house so important? Why is the temple so important? And the reason is that it's where God meets with his people. It's where God's glory dwells. It's where sacrifices are made for people to be able to come to God. The temple is a vital part of Israel's relationship with their God. Uh, And the struggles that Israel were experiencing at that time, these were actually the exact curses that God had warned them about. Um, so, we're in the book of Haggai, but if we, if we rewind about a thousand years in the Bible, back to the book of Deuteronomy, um, we read about when Israel have been freed from slavery in Egypt, and, and they're right on the edge of the Promised Land, they're preparing to go into the Promised Land, and Moses reminds them of the, the covenant that they have with God, the relationship that they have with God. And he tells the Israelites, there's going to be great blessings for you if you obey God. But on the other hand, there are going to be severe curses if you disobey God. And two of the big curses that he warns them about are exile, which has just happened, and poor harvests, which are are happening now in the book of Haggai. And so what is happening to Israel is exactly what God said would happen if they didn't obey him. Now... We look at those Israelites back then and we, look, we see them renovating their own houses while the temple lay in ruins and it's easy to be judgmental, isn't it? It's easy to look at them and, and say, well, what does it say about the spiritual state of this nation that their, their own houses were looking really nice but the temple lay in ruins? What does it say about their spiritual state that they've been back in their land for 20 years and they still haven't rebuilt the temple? And we'd be right to think that but we have to examine our own hearts and our own lives as well. See, in in my life, whose kingdom am I trying to build? Whose interests do I have at heart? Mine or God's? Can I honestly say that that my time, my energy, my money, my relationships, that they're being used for God's pleasure and honour? Am I giving God my best... That's, that's the question at the heart of chapter 1 of Haggai. Am I giving God my best? What priority does God's honour and God's pleasure have in how I spend my money, for instance? Do I give generously? Or, or do I just give what's left over? Am I more joyful in giving money towards the, the growth of the gospel? Or, or would I prefer to, to spend money to expand my own lifestyle, to, to make myself feel more financially secure? What about my time? Does my time get poured into home renovations, online shopping, social media, planning the next holiday? Or investing in my relationship with God, my family's relationship with God, serving and and getting involved at church? I I was reflecting on this myself and and what I realised was that my time is so often something that I struggle to give God my best of. You know, when when things are busy, when the to do list is piling up, which which we all experience, and I, I wonder how how I can get on top of everything. Prayer is the easiest thing to to squeeze off the top of the to do list. It's it's easy just to to squeeze it into whatever pockets of time I have available, not deliberately, but just because there are there are lots of tasks to get done, and and there are so many things that feel so much more productive at the time than praying or or reading my Bible. It's not really giving God my best, though, is it? It's really, it's kind of like just giving God the Turkish delights that are always left at the bottom of the the Cadbury's favourite box at the end, or you can substitute that for whatever chocolate you don't like. Um, But committing time to prayer, even when I'm busy, that's part of what it looks like for me to prioritise God's glory, isn't it? So I wonder, what is it that you find it hard to give God your best of? What might it look like for you to, to give Him your best this week, this month, or this year? Now, I'm not trying to say that every dissatisfaction that we have in life is is a punishment for us not, not trying to please God the way that we should. But it's human nature, isn't it, for us to, to drift towards pleasing and honouring ourselves rather than God. And we need, we need to be conscious of that. We need to make sure that we're, we're seeking to give God our best all the time. And so Haggai's first message that he brings to the people of Israel was about honouring God. And his second message is about God's glory. And this time, it's, it's not so much an instruction from God, but it's a promise that God is giving His people. Uh, So we we pick it up at the start of chapter 2. The people at this point, they've they've spent the last month clearing rubble away from the temple sites and and getting ready to to rebuild the temple. It's the the festival month of the Jewish calendar. So this is a month where where they're reminded yet again that they don't have a temple to celebrate the festivals in. And all they can do is think back to the glory days of the temple when, when God dwelt there in full glory, And so you can only imagine as they're clearing that rubble away, thinking about the good old days, they must have felt so discouraged, so overwhelmed. Where is God, they must have wondered. He seems so far away right now. And perhaps... That's kind of where you're at. Perhaps you feel like you're trying to do God's work. You're trying to put Him first and please Him and trust Him and live for Him and do what He would want you to do. But He just seems so far away. Maybe you've been praying for family and friends who, who you want to see come to Christ. But you, you're trying to invite them along to church. You're trying to have those conversations with them. But it, it just doesn't seem to get anywhere. Maybe you've been trying to pray and read your Bible and grow closer to God, but he just doesn't seem any closer. What does God tell his people in the midst of this discouraging time? Well, he tells them, be strong, be strong and work, for I am with you. My spirit remains among you. And then in verses 6 to 9, he tells them what he's going to do. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth and fill this house with a greater glory than ever before. What Haggai doesn't tell us, but again we read it in the book of Ezra, is how God fulfills this promise, or partially at least fulfills this promise over the coming years. Uh, so what happens is that they, they begin their rebuilding of the temple and again that the enemy nations around them come and try to threaten them and discourage them from building the temple. But the Persian king, Darius, who's kind of the, the king over all of this region, he hears about this and he declares that the rebuilding costs for the temple are going to be paid for out of the royal treasury. So, basically, what that means is that the the nations, the enemy nations who have been trying to prevent the temple from being built, they end up footing the bill for the rebuilding of the temple. The temple is completed about four years later and everything that was taken from the temple when it was destroyed by the Babylonians is returned back to the temple. And so, God's house is finished not with quite the same glory that the previous temple had, but that's because there was a greater glory to come. Fast forward about 500 years, and Jesus himself will come to this very temple and he'll speak of himself as being the temple. And that's because the temple represents God's presence with his people. And that's exactly who Jesus is, God with us. By the time the the temple had been destroyed a a few decades later, Jesus had died, he'd been raised back to life, he'd ascended back to heaven, and he had poured out his Holy Spirit on his followers. So that God's temple, as Meredith said before, is now, it's not a physical building, but it is the church where God himself dwells by His Holy Spirit. And in fact, each one of us, if we've put our trust in Jesus, we are a temple where God dwells by His Holy Spirit. And so if we've trusted in Jesus, then God is with us, just as He was for the Israelites back in Haggai's day. In fact, even more than He was for the Israelites back in Haggai's day. There's no special building that we have to go to. As the Israelites cleared the rubble slowly away from the old temple, God's glory couldn't have seemed further away. And even for us today, God's glory isn't obvious to us all the time, is it? God's promise is that when Jesus returns, we're going to experience His glory in a far greater way than we could ever imagine. Even now, though, God's glory is revealed to us in Jesus, our perfect sinless saviour, our gentle and lowly friend of sinners, our wonderful counsellor, our risen ruling king. As we get to know Jesus, and I don't mean just, just reading about what Jesus has done for us, but really truly knowing who Jesus is, we're taking in God's glory. We experience the glory and the presence of God as we take in the beauty and the goodness of Jesus. Hey guys, third and fourth messages, which are delivered on the same day, are about God's blessing and God's rule. Uh, So verses 11 to 14, he explains that uncleanness is more contagious than holiness. Uncleanness is more contagious than cleanness, which if Covid has taught us anything over the last couple of years. That's that would be what it is. He's saying that you can get defiled by touching something unclean, but you can't get consecrated by touching something clean. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. And this is a problem because under the Jewish law, um, you can become clean only the sorry the only way under Jewish law that you become clean after you've touched something unclean is you go to the temple and you make the right sacrifice. ...at the temple. But there is no temple. They have no temple. And so there's no solution for their defilement. What do they do? But a turning point has happened, Haggai tells them. God's people, they have responded in faith by beginning to rebuild the temple. And so God tells them, from this day onwards, mark this day, from this day onwards, things are different. Your curses will be turned into blessings... I'll bless you. It's a turning point in this relationship, the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple is laid. The covenant curses, which Israel have been suffering, they're going to be replaced with blessings that would have seemed so far away to the people at that time. A day is coming, verse 22, when God will once again shake the heavens and the earth, when He will overthrow thrones and rulers, and He will make... Zerubbabel, who's the governor of Judah, like his signet ring. Now, the, the symbolism is probably a bit lost on us here, but a signet ring was something that a king used to, to validate documents, kind of like his, his signature. It was something, that, something precious which they kept close to them at all times. Maybe a, a mobile phone is probably the, the closest example we can think of today. Now, Zerubbabel never reached particularly great heights, as a, as a king, we don't sort of see him reaching this sort of glory. But one of his descendants will be exalted on that final day when all other rulers are overthrown. If we read the first few verses of Matthew's Gospel, we, we read that Jesus descended from Zerubbabel's family line. Jesus came as the great king, the great servant. And through his death, he made the perfect undefiled offering to God that Israel couldn't and that we couldn't as well. See, the fact is that everything that we do for God is defiled. It's stained with a desire for our own pleasure and our own honour rather than God's. In fact, that's, that's basically what, what sin is, what the Bible calls sin. It's seeking my own pleasure and my own honour rather than God's. Alicia and I have got quite different standards on how a bed ought to be made. A while ago, I was wanting to, to please her, and so I thought, oh, look, I'll, I'll make the bed for her. She always, she always likes that. And so I knew she was pretty fussy about it. I knew she was a bit more fussy than I was, and so I sweated over it for, for what felt like hours. I got the, the sheets perfectly lined up. I got the pillowcases in perfectly. I got the folds nice and tight. You could have bounced a tennis ball off it by the time I was done, and I thought, she's going to love this. And so Alicia's walked in, and I'm just preparing myself to accept the compliments, and she's walked in, she's looked at the bed, and she said, oh, honey, you tried to make the bed. Yes, my intent might have been noble, but even the best of my efforts fell short. And in the same way, we can't satisfy God's perfect standards by our own work. And if you're here this morning and you're just checking church out, maybe maybe just checking out what Christianity is all about, this this is so important to understand. We don't go through life just ticking off God's expectations of us. We fall on His mercy. And it's only by His mercy that we receive His blessings. Now, we might read chapter 1 of Haggai and and might think that it's saying that if I do enough to to please and to honour God... He'll reverse the bad circumstances of my life, and and He'll make me prosper. But the thing is, the, the blessings that God gives us today, they're not good rainfall, freedom from our enemies, wealth, that sort of thing. Those are promises under the old covenant. God might give us those things, He might not. But through Jesus, we've been brought into a new covenant, And the blessings that God promises us under this new covenant are forgiveness of our sins, the Holy Spirit, everlasting life with Jesus, and an unending life to come with none of the pains or the frustrations that we experience today. This is greater than any material blessing that we can have. How do we get these blessings? Well, we get them by accepting Jesus' perfect sacrifice on our behalf. We fall on His mercy. We live life with Him as our King as we await the day when He will appear again and rule forever as God's chosen King. God gave us His best. God gave us His best. He gave us His own Son, Jesus, to die in our place, to free us from the guilt of sin. That's how much God loves us. And when we realise that, when we, when we realise just how much God loves us, giving Him our best won't be a grudging duty. It'll be our greatest pleasure. It'll be a joyful response. God's glory, God's blessing... God's rule, they would have felt so far away for the Israelites as they lived under a foreign rule, surrounded by fierce enemies, slowly trying to rebuild their broken city and their broken temple. It can seem so far away for us as well sometimes. In those seasons of life where life just seems really difficult, when the brokenness of the world hits home for us. When we look around us and we, we see a world where evil seems so often to win. When we look around and we see people that we, we, want, we want them to know Jesus, but they, but they don't. A world that seems so far away from what it ought to be. But the day is coming when kingdoms will be overthrown and Jesus alone rule. And that's a great encouragement for us to lean on. We'll experience God's presence, God's glory, God's blessing, and God's rule in ways that we can't even begin to imagine right now. And so let's give him our best as we wait for that day. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you gave us your best, that you gave us your son Jesus to do what we could never do and to, to live up to your perfect standards and to, to lay down his life to redeem us so that we could come to know you. And we thank you that we aren't saved and we, we don't have the assurance of hope because of the good things that we do and the ways that we please you, but because Jesus has done what we couldn't. And so we pray during the discouraging times of life, particularly during those times when you might feel far away to us, please help us to remember this, to remember what you've done for us through Jesus, to remember your faithfulness to your people and for our hope at all times to be in you as we await the day when we will sit under your rule, when we will enjoy your presence and your blessing and your rule and your glory in their fullness. Please help us as we think of your love for us, to give you our best joyfully day by day. Amen.